This is a sermon series called Gospel Family. Um, over the next few weeks, starting last week, we're talking about specific things that a gospel family that does. Last week we talked about uh, gospel family worships together. We said that a gospel family worships together by praising God together like we just did. And let me just tell you, I love Jeff Bell sitting there holding this baby singing, I believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy. You think that's going to make a difference in that baby's life? Yeah. Man, that was perfect. That was perfect. Good, good choice sitting right where I could see you today. That was, that was perfect. We said that a gospel family worships God together by serving together. We talked about taking our children and our families on mission trips together. Uh, yes, across the world, but also right down the road. It's good to serve people in your neighborhood. It's good to serve people at Beyond the Walls Food Pantry and serve our neighbors here in Fruitland Park. It's good to serve and we worship God by giving back to God together. We talked about not just letting dad, you know, drop the check in the offering box, but talking about why we tithe and why we give of our monies to missionaries so that they can go and try to make Jesus' name known to other places. Talk about doing that together. Well, today, the title is, A Gospel Family Enjoys God's Word Together. I hope that you brought your copy of God's Word this morning. And if you did, go ahead. You can turn to the book of Deuteronomy. That's where our main passage will be today. Deuteronomy chapter 6. God's Word is, is awfully important. There's, we could do series on the importance of God's Word, what it is, why it's important, and everything like that. Today, our focus is mostly going to be about passing on God's Word to our children. Okay, um, But I do want you to know that I do believe all those things we said. I also believe a lot about God's Word. I believe that God's Word is what God's Word says it is. I believe that when I run across something that I struggle with in God's Word, that it's not God's Word that has the problem. It's me that needs to understand what God's Word is talking about. Um, so, uh, you know, this is God revealing Himself to us. We, we worship the one true God who is a self-revealing God. Thankfully, God, after creating us, chose to reveal Himself to His creation through His Word. His Word is, is probably one of my favorite themes that goes throughout Scripture. God's spoken Word created all that there is. He spoke to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. How incredible would that relationship have been? <laughs> He spoke to his people through prophets. He spoke to his people through apostles. The, the living word came in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and, and came to offer himself as a sacrifice to, to cover all of our sin. His written word has been copied down in these 66 specific books that are in one book, the Bible, and we read it, and God has shown himself to us through it. In fact, I would tell you that you would have a very hard time knowing God if it's not for the Bible. Okay, now I would love to hear stories of God showing up in your bedroom at night and just telling you everything that he wants you to know. Okay, and I will sit down and hear that story with you. But 99.99999% of the time, God reveals himself to us through this book. Okay, it's here. He's written it. It's, it's good. It's gold. It's up to us to take it and read it and make it part of our life. When we talk about God and we talk about his word, that's called theology, Okay, sometimes our theology is right. Sometimes our theology is wrong. Sometimes we think one thing about God when we're, when we're six, seven, eight years old. And sometimes we think something completely different about God by the time we're 56, 57, 58 years old. That's called theology. Okay, when God speaks, that's called revelation. It's always true. It's never false. It never changes. It's always the same. And so I want you to see the difference in when we talk about God and we talk about God's word versus when God actually speaks. Are you with me? And when God speaks, that's called revelation, and that's been copied down in this book. Um, I, love, I love music. You know, I'm, I mean, I have a music major from college. I've been leading worship um, for years. I love music. I love praising God and using music to do that. And I think, like we talked about last week, it's important for our families to do that. I also know that we are always going to give more time during this weekly gathering to the teaching of God's Word than we are going to the singing back to God. Okay? Whenever someone says, I just love music so bad, let's just have a worship service where all we do is sing. I know what you're saying, and there's nothing really inherently wrong with that. 
Okay, there, it's, it's wonderful to gather as a church and sing these great songs that we have and, and lift up our voices. But let me just say it to you like this. What he has to say to us will always be more important than what we have to say to him. Okay, are you, are you with me? That, that's most important. Well, why? Because what he has to say will always be correct. I mean, sometimes even on accident we say things that are wrong. Okay, and so we need to understand how important this book is and what it has to say to us about how we are to live our lives. I love the old hymn. In fact, it's a crazy thing. We don't even really know exactly who wrote it. His first name started with a K. It's about as much as we know. But there's an old hymn called How Firm a Foundation. And the very first verse says this. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. I love that. We should sing that. We should, Melvin, we should sing that sometime soon. <laughs> Caleb, write some new music to that too, and it'll be just awesome. Even if we just sing that verse. So today, our key passage is, is familiar to you probably. We've preached this passage many times in the 12 years that we've been a church family at Heritage because the passing on of our faith, the passing on of God's word to the next generation is vitally important to who we are as a church family. That is, that is core value, family. That is a huge deal, reaching the next generation, legacy, heritage is the name of our church. So this, it's, it's, it's no mistake that we've preached from this passage often. And so I want you to look with me today. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to do uh, verses 4 through 9. I think it will be very familiar to you as I begin to read. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Can we pray quickly? Father, uh, help us this morning. Teach us what we don't know and what we don't understand. Change us where we need to be changed. Mold us into the men and women you desire us to be, Father. Uh, impress on our hearts the importance of your word, your commands, your statutes, your laws, your precepts. I pray that we leave here today with a deeper love and passion for your word and a desire to teach it to those around us, especially the next generation. We love you, Lord. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Man, how many times have you said that? I mean, how many times have you read it? It's pretty familiar. This, this passage is known as the Shema to Jewish people. It's, it's probably the most major Old Testament passage for the Jewish religion. The word Shema means hear, which is the first uh, word in that, hear, O Israel. It's quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. You know, when the teachers and Pharisees tried to test him, you know, what's the most important Commandment, and he said this, and then he added on, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that, that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels. This is an important passage. I mean, the commandments that, that Moses was given to the people, that God had given to Moses, were the framework, okay? Remember, he rescued them, took them out of Egypt, crossed the, the, the sea, remember the... I mean, he just showed them miracle after miracle. And then he begins to give them these laws. It wasn't because he was a mean God and wanted his way. It's because he was showing them the framework of how they would then love God back. This is how you love God. I mean, how many times do we say it? Love, the person that loves God is a person who what? Obeys my commands. It's not because he's just wanting to be, you know, the authoritative figure in our relationship. It's because he knows what's best because he created us. And these commandments provide that framework that the people of God could express their love for God and those commands were to be upon their heart. Now, why would you think that it needed to be on their heart? Why couldn't they just memorize it? But I think it's because it wasn't because they were supposed to be obeying his commands, okay, just out of like some form of legalism, okay? They were to continually think of them and meditate on them so that it would be a response 
to who God was and what he had done for them. Not just some form of legalism where they just say, well, this is what you do and this is what you don't do because that's just, you know, how you do it. No, they wanted to think about it and know it and meditate on it and remember what God had done so that they would live out this way in obedience for love of God. Are you with me? And then having understood these commandments, it tells us here they were responsible for what? To teach them to their children. They weren't to raise their children and say, man, I hope they get it. I hope that one day they will make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm not going to be pushy as a parent, though. No, that's not what it said. Look at verse 7. You shall, my Bible says, that's like commandment. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Teach them diligently is the word that's in my Bible. That's, that's, that's literally like sharp, like a sharp sword or sharp arrows, and to teach them incisively, you know, like the way that it was carved with a sharp tool onto the concrete tablet. They, we're supposed to carve them and impress them into our children's hearts every generation. The commandments were to be the subject of conversation all the time. Hey, what he's saying here, when you're at home, when you're not at home. These two opposites just means all the time, okay? At nighttime when you're asleep and at daytime when you're awake, just all the time. It's supposed to be the, the subject of conversation, God's word. Now, this is vitally important for you growing up kids to believe God's word is you have to speak it to them. This can be scary. Would you admit that sometimes it is scary to talk about the Bible to your kids, no one will admit that? I will admit that. I have to call my brother and my dad like at least once a week to ask them a question to clear up something that I might misunderstand. If I teach it to my kids wrong, then we got a problem. It's sometimes scary because sometimes we don't understand every word in this book. Is it okay to admit that? I think that should be okay to admit that. I think if we can all start at that place where we say, I believe this is important, I believe it's God's word, and I definitely believe that I don't understand everything about it. Okay, sometimes I read it and I go, I don't know what it's talking about. I think I'm just going to close it and give up. Rather than just, just ask somebody. You know, just ask somebody. Hey, I have no idea what this is talking about, what it's talking about. Okay, ask somebody. Moses here is teaching the priority, okay, of belief in one God. He wanted to make sure these people were coming from worshiping lots of different gods in the past. Okay, gold, wood, clay, creation. They, they would just worship whatever seemed to fit in that situation. And he wanted them to know, no, 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 uh, I'm going to teach you, this is all about there's one God and we're only going to worship him. And so that's what he's showing here. He's also, though, teaching the means to preserve that belief. See, if he didn't teach them that it was important to teach your children then within one or two generations, this is such important belief of there only being one God would pass by. He knew that in the past they had already worshipped many different gods, many different idols. Well, if we don't teach our children that there is one God to worship, eventually we will go back to worshipping many different gods, many different idols. Oh my goodness, what has already happened? It's already, it's, it, we see that, right? You ever know anybody that worships something other than the one true God? Man, there's people in this room that have worshipped things other than the one true God this week. We have to teach it to our children. He continues with the importance of God's word. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. I, I used to use that verse to try to talk my dad into let me get a tattoo. <laughs> he didn't fall for it. I, I, didn't ever, I never got it. That was a pastor's kid. You know, there's like no tattoos. Nothing wrong with tattoos. I'm okay. I'm just saying that just reminded me of that. Dad, I'm going to write scripture on my hand. <laughs> you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontlets between your eyes. I wasn't bold enough to try to say I should get a tattoo here. That's probably what he should have said. If my kid ever asked, I would say, okay, we'll get you one here. We're also going to get it right there. Frontless between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is, this is uh, really serious stuff. I mean, if you meet a Jewish person today, 
there is a really good chance that if you were to go to their home, on this, if you were to enter their door, or here on the side of their doorpost, you would see what it's called, a mezuzah. Do you know what that is? And, and they have uh, the Shema, okay, These, some words from this passage inside that, right? And, it's, and they even put it at a certain angle. I mean, this is, this is, they took this very literally. Uh, there was uh, the front list between the eyes. They would put some of these words in this little, almost like a little box, yeah, and tie it around their head. I mean, they took this literally. They say, look, God said we need to tie it around our heads, write it on our hands, put it on our doorposts. He was trying to let them know that the importance of what I have to say is above everything else that's going on in the world. I'm, I'm going to tell you how to handle relationships. I'm going to tell you how to handle the creation that I've made. I'm going to tell you how to handle your money. I'm going to tell you how to handle salvation and future and death and life and everything right here. Don't look to everything else. There's all kinds of things that are going to be out there. I mean, just do a little search on Amazon. There's like a billion people writing books these days that will tell you how to handle all the things that God has already said. And what they have to say doesn't always line up with this, what this has to say. And when we put those things in our minds, then we have to decide, well, this says this, the Bible says that. Which way am I going to lean? So whether taken literally or metaphorically, the signs described here in verses 8 and 9 indicate that an individual, man, woman, kid, whatever, his home, his community, his, his neighborhood were to be distinguished in their character by obedience to what Moses was teaching them these days, these commands, as a response of love for God. God's love and his word were to be the central interest of man's entire life. He was supposed to live his life, make his decisions, base his priorities on what God had said. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. It's still supposed to be that way. We, we, I'm telling y'all, we don't do that, though. Well, we, we'll say that we believe that, but the moment we wake up, we begin thinking about all the things that we need to do to live our life, set our priorities, make our decisions, and many times, if you're honest, they aren't based on Scripture. How do I know that? Because many times, we don't even know what Scripture says. Why would we say things like, I believe that... This is God's word. I believe that it's always true. I believe that it never changes. But then not read it. Not know it. Not understand it. Let me ask you a couple of questions. When it comes to the Bible, where do you stand? Like, what would you say? I see a bunch of y'all post stuff on Facebook when it becomes popular to put something about the Bible on Facebook. Is the Bible true? Okay, let me ask this question. Is every part of the Bible true, though? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Let me ask you this question. Is the Old Testament as important as the New Testament, though? Yes. Are you, are you sure? Yes. Okay, let me ask you this. Are all the words in the Bible God's words? Yes. Oh, a little bit less. People sure about that one. Let me, let me ask you this one. Is the Bible necessary for salvation? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. I thought we could just only be saved through faith in Jesus. Ha, what? What did you say, Miss Diane? Miss Diane has an answer for everything. <laughs> it's okay. It's always right. How are you going to know about the salvation? Someone either has to put this book in front of you or tell you what it says in order for you to know about Jesus and the price he paid for your sin. It's pretty simple. Now, I do love that the question, is the Old Testament as important as the New? And the answer is yes. You know, my dad's a pastor, but he didn't become a Christian until his mid-20s. And he was saved by reading the Old Testament. He grabbed a book. It was called The Living Bible. Y'all remember The Living Bible? And he, and he began to read in the Old Testament. I can't remember exactly where it was, so I'm not going to try to pretend like I do. Leviticus? Okay, so he's reading in Leviticus. <laughs> she, she remembers. And I don't know where he was. I would like to think that he was, you know, in chapter 6, reading about 
the purpose of the blood sacrifice and how only blood being poured out could be a covering for sin. And the Old Testament passage triggered something in my father's heart that made him see his need for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So, if all of this we're saying, if we're agreeing on this, then, then I would say it's, it's time to take a couple of things of action because if it's our responsibility, especially as um, adults, to pass down to the next generation this knowledge of, this understanding of um, God's word, we got to at least know it. And I don't mean to say that we all need to be PhDs like my brother, okay? Um, it's fantastic to have him on speed dial because he knows so much stuff. I, but I don't think that's the case. I think that the Bible is very clear about certain things, and other things aren't so clear. I think that's fair to say. Uh, just because I believe every word is God's word doesn't necessarily mean that I believe God made every single word as clear as, as the others. Okay? There's certain things that are very clear. It's very clear to me when I read Scripture that I'm a sinner. It's very clear to me that there's only one God who created me, and... He made a way for me, a sinner, to become right with him again. And that way was through Jesus and the shedding of his blood on the cross. Those, that stuff's very clear. We need to know that. Okay? And so I don't mean that you need to memorize and, and know every word of Scripture. But I do believe every word is important. And so if it is important, then I need to ask, well, why is it here? I should read it. A passage that you're probably familiar with is in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Paul is writing to his friend, and look what he says in verse 14. He says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, when Paul wrote this, the New Testament wasn't compiled together. I mean, he's literally writing the New Testament. So what was he meaning? that the sacred writings will make you wise for salvation. The Old Testament, okay? That, that's important that you know that God's plan for salvation didn't start in the book of Matthew, okay? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, just like it did my dad. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that's, that's interesting. What does he mean by breathed out? Because men wrote this stuff down, right? What do you believe about that? Do you believe that they like, went into some kind of trance and started doing this, and then they woke up and were like, wow, I just made scripture? Do you, I don't know. Do you, have, you talk, have you thought through that? Have you thought about what you believe about how the Bible became to be? You know, did they, did they write whatever they wanted to write and then somehow with this magic ink, the Holy Spirit changed it to say the right stuff? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, there's lots of different uh, theories out there that people think about what this is. Some people think men wrote it and God had nothing to do with it whatsoever. I would say that these guys started writing. I mean, different books have different personalities by the people that wrote it. Wouldn't you say if you've read through it, this sounds different than that, this sounds different than that. Matthew remembers some things differently than Mark, right? Luke asked people because he might not have been in every single situation. I think the Holy Spirit made sure it said exactly what God wanted it to say. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You get that? Training in righteousness. Have you ever wondered why we can't quit sinning? Why there's a couple of things that you say, I try to quit doing that, but I just keep doing it? Or, God, you, you said that you would change me, but I still want to do that other thing. Look, the scripture is what trains us in righteousness. It's not our own just, you know, wanting to be. I want to be good. No, the scripture trains us in that. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So there's three things that I want to tell you just practically that I believe the Bible does for you when you read it, okay? And I really am praying and hoping that as we leave here today um, that we have a desire to read and spend time and know God's word. Now, I have lots of opinions about how I think we could go about doing that 
and that would take a lot more time today than I should take. So if you are curious and you don't have a plan, then ask me and I would be willing to tell you. But I think you could ask any person that you know that you look at and you say, that person's a mature believer who I could trust. Because the only way that anyone is a mature believer who you can trust is if they spend a lot of time in this book. So if you see someone that you know like that, man, ask them. Say, how come you're a mature believer? They'll probably say, well, let me tell you what I read and how I read the Bible. Um, a few verses, and you don't have to try to turn to all of these. In the book of John, chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his Father before he goes to the cross. And in John 17, 17, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify, that's a big church word. It means to set apart from the rest of the world, to make holy, okay, to make different. So, Scripture then um, sanctifies us. If you read the Bible, number one, it will sanctify you. It will make you holy. It will set you apart, okay? Number two is found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, just Bible, the uh, Bible trivia, is what? Anybody? The longest chapter in the Bible. Do you know that? It is. It's also interesting that almost the entire chapter in the longest chapter of the Bible is about the Bible. Verse 9 in chapter 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? I, I know that there are teenage boys asking that question all over the place every day these days. I know there's adult men asking that question. How can a young man, how can an old man keep his way pure? Same answer. Yeah, yeah I just, yeah, and women. I'm not trying to make anybody upset. just reading what it says. My Bible, when it says man, it almost always means a man and woman, just so you know. Okay. How can a young man keep his way pure or woman? <laughs> By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Number two, reading God's word helps to keep us pure and even from sinning against God. I know we always want to go, but we'll never be perfect. We throw that in there. Yeah, we know that. We know that. But I think the Bible is telling us it's possible to choose not to sin when we have that choice in front of us. And the best way to make that choice to not sin is to memorize and store his word in our heart so that way when we have our... Uh, Faced with the challenge, faced with that opportunity to sin, faced with that decision to make, we will be reminded of Scripture that says, I, I ought to not do that. I ought to choose this over here rather instead because there ain't nothing there for me. Okay? So number two, it keeps us pure. And it keeps us from sinning against God. Number three is this. In John chapter 8, listen to what Jesus said. He says, To the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You probably know that. You've heard that. They say that in movies. But it's not just you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. It's if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and the truth, which is my word, will set you free. A little bit further down in that same chapter, verse 44, he turns and he's talking to the Pharisees. Jesus was so mean to those guys. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. When Satan uh, brings something to you that makes it look real attractive, there's no truth in it. If you ever think sin looks like it could be satisfying, hear me say, hear Jesus say, there's no truth in it. And it will only let you down. It's sin. Number three is this. God's word, it replaces lies with truth. Because it's truth. And Satan and his demons that rule over this world and even our flesh that's earthly... There's, it's full of lies. But when we know Scripture, it helps us to replace lies with truth. 
Are you with me? So when I start to believe I'm not good enough, I don't deserve heaven, I'm reminded that yet while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. It had nothing to do with me. I didn't deserve it in the first place. I haven't lost my salvation because I sinned. I never earned it to begin with. It was given to me freely. But if I don't have that verse to remind me of that, I'll begin to believe the lies that every time I sin and mess up, I'm not worthy. I shouldn't come in here on Sunday and sing. You know how I acted to that guy yesterday? I'm not worthy to sing praises. I shouldn't pray this morning. God's probably ticked off at me for what I did last night, the way I acted toward my family. Those are lies that the devil wants me to believe. I can replace them with truth if I know it. The Bible will do all of these things for your kids. And that's where I want us to focus this morning. In Deuteronomy, it says, teach them diligently to your kids. The Bible will do this for your children. If your children begin to be, believe lies, like, nobody likes me, or... I'm not good as good as these other kids at stuff. They, they're not finding their identity in Christ. But the only way they would know to look to Christ for their identity is if they were knowing the Word. Does that make sense? You've got to show them the Word and teach it to them so that they can begin to replace the lies that Satan wants to fill their head with. I mean, i got two kids and i got a wife that teaches middle school. I mean, the lies that are swarming around the possibility of going in their heads throughout the day are enormous amount. But they can replace those lies with truth. They can sanctify themselves. They can even choose to quit sinning if they will know God's word in their hearts. So this idea of family discipleship is not only in the Old Testament. It's, it's found throughout the New Testament. Where well. we just read, Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, don't forget what you've learned and who you learned it from and how, you, how even from childhood, okay, Timothy, he learned from childhood, from his mother and grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith a, faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother. Anybody remember her name? Lois and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I am sure there were times that Lois and Eunice did not feel like teaching young little Timothy God's word. They probably think like, man, this kid is crazy. He's never going to be a good person. Just go to your room. There's no point in wasting our time teaching God's Word. No, they taught him God's Word. He grew up, and we know Timothy grew up to be a pretty great guy, a pretty great leader in the church. In the, in the, in book, in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and gives you know, mo, one of the most famous sermons of all time. I mean, thousands of people came to Christ when he was done, so that's pretty good, I would say. And, and it's the day at Pentecost. And listen to what he says. When he got done teaching his sermon there, talking about Jesus and what he had done and all the things, he basically went back through all the Old Testament. Listen to what in verse 37, Acts 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then listen to what he says. For the promise, for this promise, this whole eternal life thing and, and, and forgiveness of sins is for you and for your children. Even that day, he was like, look, this isn't just for you. This isn't just, you know, you say I'm sorry for my sins, get baptized, and, and, then, and then that's the end of it. No, this changes your life. You become a new person, and then you take that and pass it down to the next generation so that it continues because of how important it is. And just as the Israelites were to know God's word and then teach it to their children, you need to read first and understand the Bible and then teach it to your children so that you can. God didn't say, hey, you know, don't worry about learning it. Just take, just take these tablets around and, and make your kids read it. You know, we can't just say to our children, make sure you read your Bible before you go to bed tonight. You can't say that. Have you ever tried to teach someone something that you weren't passionate about yourself? Let me ask you this way. Have you ever had a teacher in school and, and you could tell they didn't even like what they were teaching? Yeah? Have you ever had a teacher in school who made you like a subject you didn't used to like because they were so passionate about that subject? Like history is like that. You either like history or you don't like history. Alan teaches history. Alan's a great history teacher because he likes history. So my kids who don't really care anything about history, they for some reason love Alan Kirkland's history class. Well, he must be passionate about what he's teaching, and they must get that. 
If I try to tell my kids something that God's word has to say and they go, well, you don't even do that. Well, how far are we going to get in that conversation? Maybe we are afraid to pass down to the next generation because we haven't yet taken the reading of this series ourselves. Okay? Today isn't a day about guilt and feeling bad. Today is about taking this moment from this moment forward and saying, it's important for me to know God's word. It's important for me to read God's word. It's important for me to understand what I'm reading. And when I don't understand, to ask somebody who I think might help me understand what I'm reading so that I can then teach it to my children. Here's a few things that you can do practically um, to enjoy God's Word together as a family. Number one is read it together. And I don't think I have a slide for this. Or maybe I do. I don't know. Read it together. Hey, I do. This is good. I don't know about you, but if you sit around the table at breakfast, um, man, that's a great time to do that. No, our family doesn't sit around the table at breakfast. The five minutes right before my family needs to leave is the most chaotic five minutes of the day. You wake up, it's so quiet and peaceful, and everyone slowly gets up and everything. And then, like, you think that you've given enough time, and then the last five minutes, it's great. I don't even know why that is, but we got to figure that out. Anyways, <laughs> all that to say, we're not reading the Bible together at that time. Now, maybe we should, but that might be, speak, might be even crazier. Read it together. Maybe at dinner, maybe you make it your Saturday morning tradition. Maybe you make it your Sunday night tradition before you go to bed and, and before everyone starts Monday over again and the craziness that is the school and the work week. I don't know. But man, grab a Bible and read it together. Then you don't have to read a lot. Read a, read a couple of paragraphs. Read, read enough that it makes sense to, to get the idea of, of what that passage is talking about and, and, and say, man, what, what do you all hear? What's God saying to you? I think that's important. Read it together. I, I got a couple of pictures. If you've got kids, this book on the left, I guarantee you I've shown you this picture before because I've, I've stolen a picture from Google and it's on the desktop four times. So, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. If you've got kids like 10 and under, in, in, in fact, I, I've, I've recommended that Bible to adults who didn't grow up in church knowing the Bible. This Bible is fantastic. It tells the story of the Bible. It doesn't have every book and every chapter and verse. Okay, it's a kid's Bible. But every single story that it, that it has points to Jesus. I love that. I love it. Um, there are times that I remember as a kid, I would grow up going to Sunday school, and they would teach us about Jonah and the whale. Great. But they would say nothing about what that meant for God's plan for missions for the nations in sending Jesus to save all people. They wouldn't tell us that. The next week, we would learn about the woman at the whale, and I would spend the first five minutes trying to decide if these were the same whales that we were talking about. <laughs> and and there, was no, there was no connection from one week to the next. They just told us. They didn't write it down. They didn't even know that it spelled differently. And in Texas, it sounded like the same word. So... <laughs> Well, Jonah in the well, the woman in the well. Why there's so many stories about wells in the Bible is what I was thinking as a kid. Anyways, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Man, get this, get this open and read it to your kids. If your kids can read, have them read it. That's a great way to read the Bible together. If your kids are a little older, the Bible that Melvin has been encouraging our teenagers to get is this Bible over here, and I chose a dark one. It's hard to read, but it's called the Jesus-Centered Bible. And kind of the same idea. Now, that is a full Bible. It's the NLT, which usually Sydney preaches out of on Sunday morning, New Living Translation. So any of you could get that. You could follow along in the sermons on Sunday morning. But what I love about it, have you ever read a New Testament that had red letters? And what's that mean? Okay, Jesus is talking in the Jesus-centered Bible, in the Old Testament, whenever there's verses that talk about Jesus, it's in blue. Isn't that neat? So, 
When you begin to learn that this whole book is about God, Jesus is the main hero of the whole story. He doesn't just show up here in the New Testament. Okay, that's really good. And that Bible helps with that. So I love for our teenagers and even you guys to be reading a book like that because it helps to point you in a direction. So when you're reading the Old Testament, it becomes less confusing when you understand why it's there and how it points to the New Testament, how it's fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. Does that make sense? That's a Jesus-centered Bible. Now, you don't have to do that. You can find other ways of doing that, but I like that resource. Okay, so number one, read the Bible together. Number two, memorize it together. Okay, take a verse. If you don't know what verse to, to use, ask Sydney. Say, Sydney, I need a memory verse for my family for this week or this month or whatever it is. And challenge each other. At night or whenever it is that you get to sit together for a meal, say, hey, anybody memorize that verse yet? And everybody can try to say it. Okay? There's even an app that I found called Verses. You can add everyone in your family. You can put it on their devices, and you can add verses to it. It's got games like fill in the blank, and you can speak it or, or all kinds of stuff that's out there and, and work together. And, and they get these little circle rings of colors as they memorize the verse better. Okay? It's great. It's called Verses. It's on the iPhone. Is it on the Android? I figured y'all would have looked it up by now. <laughs> memorize it together. I have hidden your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. Yes, thank you. Every unit, I believe, is the word. There is a verse in the Gospel Project. Our men and women's Bible studies walk through the Gospel Project curriculum, as well as our teenagers on Wednesdays and our children on Sunday mornings. The verse is the same, right? Okay, so those verses are there. Great verse to choose from is the one that you're at this morning. When Caleb gets done teaching the story to the kids, Landon, I think, is going to go up and teach the verse of the unit. And they all say it. They all say it together. That's a great one to choose from. Thank you. Number three is this. Share it together. Read it together. Memorize it together. Share it together. I try to do it this way. When I read, and I'm not reading together, I'm just reading, I might say, oh, man, Braxton, come look at this. Let me show you what, what the Bible says about this. Look what, look, look, what just, look what Jesus just taught me. And I just want to share it with them. Sometimes you might be reading and no one else is in the room. You know, Sometimes I read really early in the morning and my family doesn't like to get up that early. I might text them and go, hey, check out this verse. Can you believe what God did? Something like that. And share what God is teaching you, and now you're teaching them. That, that's easy, especially with all the devices we got. Man, you can share it to them all the time. If you have, my, my daughter Ainsley, she loves to do this uh, version app. It's got the Bible on it and reading plans, and she'll read it, and she can text and see if her friends and their reading to make sure and all this stuff, accountability. Great, great. I'm not going to sit here and go, Bibles on the iPhone are bad or anything like that. Just read the Bible. Honestly, I don't care. I personally like mine. It smells good, but, but I like that. Okay, one more resource. This is practical stuff because you all agreed when I asked you the questions. You agreed this is true. You agree it's important. You agree every word is the word of God. Then we got to put it in our hearts. We got to do it. Um, there's another resource, and I, and I may have a slide. Do I have a slide for New City Catechism? Okay. You know what a catechism is? A catechism is a way that people would train uh, people in Christianity using a question and answer system. Okay? So there would be, a, this is, if you, did anybody grow up Catholic? You know what a catechism is, right? Okay? And so this, this is the way of training. And New City Catechism is, there's all kinds of catechisms. I mean, if you just Google catechism, there's catechisms for the last hundreds of years of ways of training people as they came into the church. It's common to say that today we live in Sorry. a post-truth world. That's not... No, we can show... I don't... It's okay. We're, we're running short on time. Anyways, that's Tim Keller. He's, he's a pastor, and he helped to create the New City Catechism. Why y'all messing with me back there? None of this is good for Facebook. 
Put the slide back up that says New City Catechism. I want, you to, I want you to get that in your app store, okay? They also have books. If you're a book person, you can order them. Okay, the thing I love about the New City Catechism is there's 52 question answers. So theoretically, you could do one a week and, and go through all 52 in a year. I'm going to show you what it looks like, and I didn't tell them I was going to do this. Ainsley, come here. Braxton, you come here too, so she's not the only one. Okay, somebody bring a phone. Oh. <laughs> it, you got New City on there? You don't? Never mind. I was going to show the app. These are my kids, okay? Um, New City Catechism is great because in the app, it has a children's mode, okay? So I'll turn that on, and what it has is broken into three sections, 52 weeks in those three sections. And so section one, the first question is, um, what's the first question? What is our only hope in life and death? Braxton? I can't remember. Yeah, you did. Oh, Ainsley? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That's right. So what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. And when you look at that question, then there'll be a verse that talks about that question and answer. There will be a little bit of commentary, okay, so you can understand a little bit better why that foundational belief is one of our foundational beliefs. There's even a song, and it will sound very children-y to you, but I guarantee you it works. I won't make you sing it. Um, <laughs> But it works, and they will sing that song in their head, and they will remember the answer. Okay, I'm going to give you one more chance to, you know, fix what just happened a minute ago. <laughs> Question number two in the New City Catechism is, what is God? Our creator and king. <laughs> you made that up. That's not the right answer. I know it starts with creator. <laughs> I know this one, too. Yeah. Did nothing. That had, you know this one? Yes, I did. Okay. The creator of everyone and everything. God is the creator of everyone and everything. I, I said that? creator and king because that's what we learned. It's kind of rhymes with kings. that. Okay, well, go sit down. <laughs> I, we have a lot of work to do on the New City Catechisms. Paraphrasing, thank you. It's like the message version. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I, I think that's good. Now, let me be clear. Catechisms are not scripture. Okay, catechisms are question and answers that come from scripture. Okay, just so we're clear. But those are foundational beliefs. And I love um, that kind of training because it gives you a foundational belief. So when you're reading scripture, you know better how to interpret it. When you have a spiritual conversation, you have a little bit better start as you go into that conversation about what you believe. The song we sang earlier is called the Creed. There's nothing wrong with creeds. The word creed just means I believe. And that's why it says I believe in God the Father, I believe. It's trying to, to say this is what I believe. I've read this and I understand this to be important, okay? And so the catechisms is a way of knowing those um, foundational beliefs and, and we can know them, kids can know them, it's fantastic. So New City Catechism, there's a book, there's an app, there's all kinds of stuff out there. It's just a good way of training. Uh, read it together, memorize it together, and share it together. Know God's Word, y'all. It's, it's so important. And, and if you don't know where to start, just ask somebody. Okay, come and ask. I would love to talk with you about what it looks like to spend time in God's Word. I think it's, it's, it's so important. Um, because of what it is. In fact, I would say that you need to make some decisions based on what God's Word says that it is. I mean, if God's Word says there's only one God, then, I mean, I need to know, do I believe what this is saying? All the things that we do in our Christian uh, life, they, they stem from the truths that are in this book. I mean, it's either, in my opinion, this is either 100% true or I ought to toss it out. Because have you ever had a friend that, like, tells the truth most of the time? Okay? If, if you read this and you go, oh, I believe a lot of that, but I don't believe some of that. Well, what are you reading? Because the book is about a God who created everything, sent his son to die for your sins and all that stuff. Why would we believe in any of that if we didn't believe that this whole thing was true? That would blow my mind. Why would you get up early on Sunday morning to get here? 
It's either true or it's not. Okay? It makes too many claims about itself to, to, for you to try to go, well, I like this part, but not that part. Okay? So I know this has been kind of all over the map, and I'm sorry about that. But let me pray, and, and we're going to be done. Next week, we're going to talk about a gospel family prays together. Okay? So don't miss that. If you've ever struggled praying with your spouse, if you've ever struggled making it a habit to pray with your family, don't miss next week, okay? This isn't about guilt. This isn't about thinking of the things that we've not done or with the things that we've missed to this point. It's just about saying from this moment on, this is the way that our family is going to operate, okay? Okay, no, it's all grace. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you so much for your word. You are the almighty God. Uh, unbelievable that you would take this many different people over this many years, over this many continents to write together one book that says exactly what you want it to say and then you would preserve it for thousands of years to make sure that it said the right thing. What an amazing God and thank you for your direction. Thank you that you would not leave us here empty handed but you would give us um, your true word revealing yourself to us so that we could know you so that we could know how to love you back. You're an amazing God. Father, put a passion in our hearts for your word. Put a passion in our hearts to teach your word to those around us, to the next generation, to our neighbors, to those that we have influence over, whoever. Help us to know and understand us. Give us knowledge. And then give us boldness that we would go around and teach those about the great news of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and thank you for the cross. Amen.